Today we look at the last of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are in effect the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going all the way through the Sermon on the Mount before this is all over, but this is the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. On April the 20th, 1999, this nation witnessed what is the fourth deadliest school massacre in U.S. history and the deadliest for an American high school. We refer to this horrific incident simply as Columbine. Rachel Joy Scott, a devout Christian, was the first to be shot. Reportedly, she was eating lunch on the lawn outside the school when she was approached by the killers and asked if she believed in God. Knowing full well that the end result would be death, she said, yes. Refusing to deny her faith in God, Rachel was shot in the head at point-blank range. As part of the investigation, videotapes were found in which the two killers mocked Rachel for her faith. Now, as horribly sad as this is, a precious life lost and a family left with a hole that cannot be filled, we cannot help but be inspired by this young lady who in an instant went home to be with the Lord whom she would not deny. At 17 years of age, she showed more courage and conviction than many adults ever have. Let's face it. In the Columbine Massacre, when we look back, if you had to declare a winner in this confrontation between Rachel and her killers, Rachel won. There was another young lady. Her name was Cassie Bernal, who was also there that day, and she was approached in the cafeteria as she was hiding behind the table. And she was also asked, are you a Christian? To which Cassie replied, yes, and met the same fate as Rachel Scott. These two young ladies were both given the most important test in high school that day that any of us can take, and both passed. What was tested was their faith, and their faith proved to be genuine. Both of these young ladies had gone through of the progression that we have been looking at in the Beatitudes, and they knew that theirs was the kingdom of heaven. They had a deep and abiding faith. Some time back, I ran across this acronym, Forsaking All, I Trust Him. And that is at the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? Forsaking All, I Trust Him. And that is what Cassie and Rachel did. They were able to trust him no matter what came their way. And the reason why, as I said, is that they had gone through this progression of the Beatitudes. You see, the Beatitudes is not just a list of Christian traits that we can go through and pick and choose. Okay, I want this one, I want that one, but this persecution thing, I'm going to leave it out. You can't pick and choose because it is the progression that we all go through 
as we enter into and grow in the Christian faith. I think it's rather interesting that the first beatitude, which is blessed or the poor in spirit, has the same blessing as this one they read today, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reason why at this point, both Cassie and Rachel could put their trust in him no matter what happened is because as they had lived out of their faith, they had discovered that God was faithful and that he was going to have the last word. And you know what? As we live out of the Christian faith and as we put to practice those things that we have learned, as we go through these steps of first of all realizing that we need God, that there's things in our lives that cannot be uh, handled without him. And we come to this place where we are poor in spirit and we cry out to him and we mourn our past. Uh, we wind up finding ourselves comforted and then we just move on with him and we find that he is with us. And we find that as we walk with him, we grow in him. And as we do so, we come to realize that God has the last word. God has the last word when it comes to sin. I remember a, uh, a story of a, a butcher who was about to close shop and he looked down and he had one hen left in his cooler. And all of a sudden the lady rushes in and said, I'm having a party tonight and I need a hen. Do you have any good hens? And the butcher looked down and said, well, let me see. And he reached into the cabinet that he had and he uh, fumbled around in the cooler and he said, well, let me see. And he pulled out this one hen and said, how about this one? And the lady said, well, you know, that one's not quite what I'm looking for. What else do you have? And so he said, well, let's see. He put the same hen down in the uh, cooler again and fumbled around, brought out the same hen. He said, what about this one? And she said, that one is great. I'll take both of them. Scripture says, be not deceived. Your sin will find you out. The wonderful thing is that, yes, yes, we come to realize that our sin will find us out but there is one who has taken care of our sin. And so we don't have to face the consequences in it if we have received the forgiveness that he offers through his precious blood. God has the last word when it comes to sin. God also has the last word when it comes to life. At the very heart of the Christian faith, every one of you has come to the place where you have been through things that you didn't know how they were going to work out, but deep, deep down, you knew that somehow everything was going to be okay. That is the Christian faith. Also, God has the last word when it comes to death. I remember having the privilege of listening to a survivor of uh, Delta Flight 191 in Dallas, uh, that flight that hit the wind shear and wound up uh, crashing into two uh, water towers and a car, and I think it was over 135 people were killed in that particular uh, plane crash. Miraculously, some survived. And this uh, gentleman said that the one thing that he carried away from that, and one thing that will always stay with him, it's as if he were just placed in an envelope and he was walking down the aisle 
and people were dying on either side of him. And he said the one thing that he took away from what he was seeing that day was that some that how you live is how you're going to die. You will die like you live. He said, don't think that you can wait till the last minute and have a deathbed confession and turn your life over to God and everything be okay. When that moment comes, you're going to die like you have lived. He said that some people were praying and some people were crying out and cursing God. God has the last word. That's the thing that we have learned as we have walked with God and gone through one thing after another is that God is going to have the last word. Rachel's and Cassie's stories both attest to this. At one point in The Lord of the Rings, Sam says to Frodo, I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. And you see, the thing is, is that for Frodo and Sam to understand what's happening to them, they have to understand the bigger picture. And that picture includes a clash between kingdoms of darkness and light. And you know, the same thing applies to us. If you've come under the kingship of Jesus, if Jesus is now your Lord, you've fallen into a much larger story, one of the greatest stories ever. And that story is the clash of two kingdoms. You see, Jesus isn't saying that we should go looking for persecution. What he is saying here is that we will experience as citizens of his kingdom clashes with the kingdom of this world. Now, Jesus gives us the reason we'll be persecuted. He says it will be for righteousness sake. But he also says that people will say false things about us. When persecuted, they probably won't say, I'm persecuting you because you're such a good person. You're such a righteous person. Instead, they will twist things just like they did with the early Christians. Early Christians were charged with being immoral, atheists, cannibals, and enemies of the state. They were charged with being immoral because they kept talking about loving their brothers and sisters and people chose to take that the wrong way. They were charged with being atheists because they refused to worship the Roman gods. They were charged with being cannibals because they spoke of partaking of the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper. They were charged with being enemies of the state because they said that Jesus was their Lord, not Caesar. You see, the enemy took their words and twisted them. When persecuted, the charge will always be something else besides your righteousness. You won't be charged with being righteous, but you may be accused of being intolerant or disloyal or not a team player or just plain mean. Now we know that this is so. We know we have experienced what it's like to live in God's kingdom and to wind up experiencing these uh clashes that happen, and we all experience them. But where is the blessing in this? Jesus says that we will be blessed. Well, first of all, we're blessed, he says, because of the company that that puts us in. He said that if you're persecuted because of him and because of righteousness, you're sharing the same thing that the prophets went through, that those people who were true to God went through. 
And the next thing is that you're going to know that there is a reward that lies ahead. Now with me, that has come to be just kind of a secondary thing. I hardly even think about it anymore because I've come to the place in my life where the most important thing is uh, just the sunshine of his face. As it says in the hymn, I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. To know that he smiles on me means more than anything else in this world. And I know that that relationship that I have with him and that sense of his presence with me is going to go on forever, eternally. Death will not stop it. But that ties in with the reward. And Jesus does tell us, great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Now, the greatest company that we find ourselves in is the company of Jesus. Because as we live to please God, as we live to please him, we are following his example, the example of the author and perfecter of our faith. And it says in scripture, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, you know there are many others through the centuries who have uh, uh, done the same thing. James Guthrie woke up in the condemned cell on the morning of his execution. His servant was weeping, and he said, Stop that at once. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Also, there was a woman who was being taken to be thrown into the arena to be killed by lions, who said as she was approaching the door, this is the day of my coronation. To her, the death that came from persecution was an entry into a greater life and the day when she was going to receive her crown of righteousness. On December of 1666, Hugh McHale stood before a judge and was sentenced to be executed four days hence. As he was being marched back to prison, he saw a friend and said, Good news! Wonderful good news! I am within four days of enjoying the sight of Jesus, my Savior. All these rejoiced as they suffered because they knew one who had gone on before them and one who had suffered in their place so that they wouldn't have to suffer the pangs of death and wouldn't have to suffer the punishment of sin. How about you? Have you come to that place in your spiritual life where if you were confronted with either denying your Lord and Savior or saying, yes, I am his follower, which would you do? I pray that you would say, yes, I am his. Because you see, you are faced with that temptation to say no every day. It may not be at the point of a gun. It may be whenever your popularity hangs in the balance and someone says, oh, come on, don't be such a wet blanket. Oh, come on, everyone else is doing it. Oh, come on. At that point, at that time, that is whenever you are meeting the test. That's whenever you are determining whether you're his or you're not. 
So the question as we end this look at the Beatitudes is at this point, whose are you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.